0: I want to give you some uh, some quick background on uh, kind of what we're what we're looking at this morning in terms of our scripture passage, and then we'll read through uh, that passage together. I'll be in uh, the book of Galatians in your New Testament in chapter four, reading verses eight through twenty, and you're welcome to follow along on one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you, or on the screen behind me, or in the printed portion of God's Word in your bulletin. Um, As I've mentioned a few times in this series, uh, the Apostle Paul had been a part of a team of pastors who had started some churches in a region uh, in what is now mostly Turkey. And he had returned home and had gotten word from some other people who had been visiting these churches as to what was going on and what was going on in in very brief form was this Paul had shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with these little communities that he visited he had established churches there and he'd got them started and growing and then he left and in his the wake of his departure other leaders had kind of come into the void of leadership and began teaching these churches yes Jesus is good, he's the Messiah, Um, but, you know, he's the Jewish Messiah, so if you want to be Christian, you've got to be a good Jew as well, and you've got to follow all these rules, and you've got to change your diet, and you've got to change your dress, and you've got to change all these things about yourself in order to be or remain in good standing with God. When the Apostle Paul catches wind of this new teaching, he flips, and he writes the letter of Galatians. The the region of the country or the region of the world was called Gala, G-A-L-A, and he writes this letter as a sort of corrective to try and bring these churches that he started back to the simple truth of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And so we come to a, a portion of this passage, of this chapter, of this letter where you will see a very personal side of the apostle paul and this is there's not a lot in this passage that is necessarily directive but it tells us a lot about the apostle's heart and soul and how he felt about these people and what he wanted for them and from them as they read this letter so you'll see a very personal section of the of the letter as we read through this text this morning, starting in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those "'weak and miserable principles. "'Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? "'You are observing special days and months "'and seasons and years. "'I fear for you that somehow "'I have wasted my efforts on you. "'I plead with you, brothers, become like me, For I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So, when it, I was very struck by the in this passage by the degree to which Paul begins to get personal, and I want to take you to a, a time in my own life that was not all that long ago um, that really resonated with me when I read this passage, and so I'm going to jump back to the year 2008, and Hope Church was clipping along. We were still in the uh, dreadful confines of the Bush Middle School cafeteria, and we thought, or at least I thought, that we were on the verge of being able to build something. And so we announced a capital campaign in September of 2008, and if you're following along with me that's where you should laugh right about now right and we had this big kickoff kind of thing handed out all this fancy material and then I think by Tuesday the stock market had crashed and and anyone that had money it was now worth about 55% of it of what it was the week before and uh I didn't know it at the time, but I was very discouraged, and we, we, um, we faced some pretty severe financial setbacks as a church. Uh, we got uh, in a position where we had to lay off uh, virtually all of our staff, three out of five staff members, and um, I would describe the next couple of years as holding on for dear life. And about... I don't know, six months after that kind of epic collapse, um, my brother came in town, and I hadn't seen him in a little while, and we met, and uh, we're just sitting around talking, and he asked me, what's up? And I said, well, you know, I'm just, you know, not doing very well, I guess, I don't know, and I, you know, and I kind of went into everything that was going on, and there was some, some conflict at the, at the session level that was very troubling to me at the time, and I didn't really know how to resolve it, and, and I don't know about you, but I sort of have, there's, there's two sides of me, there's my native Tom Masterson, which you resolve things by putting on your football helmet, and, you know, charging into the line of scrimmage, basically, and then there's that whole Jesus thing, right, <laughs> that's kind of the opposite of that, and, uh, and I, I wasn't really um, engaged in the whole Jesus thing, and so I was treating some people uh, like the other Tom Masterson, and my brother sits there for about an hour listening to me rant. And he goes, can I say something? No. (laughs) He goes, you know, I've been listening to you for about an hour, and uh, you haven't said one thing about Christ. This has all been about you and that guy or this other guy or this problem you haven't said one thing about Jesus in an hour. And I'm like, I knew I shouldn't have let him say anything. I just knew I shouldn't have let him say anything. And he looks me right in the eye and he says, um, you have lost your joy. And as soon as he said that word, it all became clear. I'm a joy guy, right? We were, we were, some of the adults were talking on the missions trip this past week, what's your personality, what animal are you like, or whatever, are you a lion, or are you a busy beaver, or are you a golden retriever who's faithful and loyal and all that? And uh, I'm an otter, that's, that's who I am, right? Those of you who've, who've served alongside me in some capacity know that I, I bring toys to staff meetings, Okay, and I will shoot you with a rubber band right in the middle of it, and when he said that, I was I was crushed in a really good way. Like, but it took somebody else, sort of peering into my present reality, to say, um, "You're not okay," and it was it was you know, roughly a month after that meeting that, um, we had called some, some members of our presbytery to come and try to help us figure out how to resolve some conflict, and they took one look at the situation, and they said, you, you're on sabbatical for the next two and a half months, whether you like it or not, you're out of here, uh, go, go get some help or something, buddy, you're a mess, and, uh, and it was, it was actually the right diagnosis, um, and it was, a, it was really, really weird to just kind of have to separate and, and get some distance and, and walk away for a few months. And, um, and, and I say all of that because this it's possible for all of us to find ourselves in a position <laughs> Where the joy is gone. How how did Paul say it? Verse, is that 15? My blurry eyes. What has happened to all your joy? And we are given so much in Christ. And yet we go back to this old self and this old way of addressing our problems and our conflicts and our difficulties and it's it's this return to bondage to this old broken way of doing things and paul says to the galatians what what god says to us why why would you go back to that when you have been given so much in grace and love and forgiveness and hope why do we keep going back and so this part of paul's letter reminds us that this whole faith thing is very personal and it's very real this this struggle between the old self and the new self is very alive and it was going on then and it's going on now. In fact, you know, one of the things we, we talked about on the missions trip a little bit was just you know, what an awesome spiritual high that opportunity creates. And then you know, how do you keep that? Um, I don't know that you do, but the answer is somewhere in this whole joy thing and this recognition that we constantly need the renewal Of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives so Paul essentially says to this group of young Christians "Um, look I came there and by these odd circumstances I shared the gospel with you and I saw I saw your emancipation from bondage I saw it with my own eyes I was there and then I left And now you're going back to the same old tired rules of living that you had before you knew the love of God through Jesus Christ. What do I have to do to see you emancipated again? And so I want to sort of take up that question of emancipating grace and look at this passage through that lens. And Paul's first reminder comes in verses 8 through 11, which could be summarized by a call to stay grounded in grace. That we're not just saved by grace, as we've seen in this letter to the church in Galatia, we are sustained by grace, we are carried by grace, we are fed by grace. Everything in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is by grace. Paul reminds us that he claimed us as his children. It was not, you know, he, he, he does this whole thing with now that you know God, or rather, if you want the correct way to put it, you're known by God. And if I can just take you into that word for a minute, to the the word that Paul uses that means know conveys a profound intimacy, a, a, a total, whole knowledge of oneself. That God knows us, He is intimately entwined in who we are, and His knowledge extends to every aspect of our nature. And so, God claimed us for His own and for your good when we stray from the gospel, we suffer. It's not that God's punishing us for forgetting his message. It's that the only alternative to the the freedom of the gospel is the bondage of the human soul to sin and performance. And so, Paul reminds us that when we stray from the gospel, when we return to our old ways, we return to bondage. God's claiming of our souls is for our own good, for our emancipation from bondage to sin. He claimed us, and he freed us. And that whole thing works in its simplest form. Here it is. Jesus, and we sang about this just a few minutes ago, Jesus fulfilled the law of God. He fulfilled it perfectly. And He takes this, this impeccable performance, if you will, and He lays it down. He says, it's not for my good, it's for yours. What I did is for your good, for your forgiveness, for your gain and so by entering into his sacrifice and receiving his forgiveness we are free from this cycle of performance and failure and condemnation in our sin he freed us from the obligations of the law and from the impositions of others Paul is speaking in a a two-sided way. He's saying, you know, you are not to be bound by the teachings of men. You have been freed by the blood of Christ. You are not to be bound by the the teachings of men. And what he means by that, there was a great expression that came out of the Protestant Reformation, and it went something like this. God alone is lord of the conscience so we have the word of god all right Um, and then we have oh let's call them good ideas about how we can protect ourselves from making mistakes and so i don't know i I don't think i'm going to pick a real good one off the fly here so we'll just leave it what's the word i'm looking for anyway i'm just going to keep going what ubiquitous or or yes undefined or something like that we think that okay let's take i don't know I, again i sh- okay it's been a long week my brain's a little fried bear with me we think that the best way to protect ourselves from sin is to come up with extra rules that will prevent us from doing something stupid. Does that make sense? You with me? And so as your pastor, it would be very easy for me to say, uh, I don't know, don't go to R-rated movies. They'll, they'll pollute your mind. Okay? Um, does God want our minds to be polluted? No. He does not. Is it my place to bind your conscience on what types of behaviors you're allowed to engage in if they're not explicitly prohibited in God's Word? No. So, you know, I can tell you thou shalt not steal, right? That's very clearly articulated. Let's not do that. But if I'm trying to protect you from yourself as your pastor, and I'm throwing out additional how-tos and limits and rules, I'm binding your conscience. You are really the one that has to answer before God for the pollution of your own mind. Thank God I don't have to answer before God for the pollution of your mind, right? I have to answer before him for the pollution of my own, which is uncomfortable enough. Um, and Paul is saying that when we are freed by the blood of Christ, we're freed from the obligations of the law and we're freed from the impositions of other people, teachers, these, these pastors who come in in his wake and try to add to the gospel. So, we're to stay grounded in grace. This is our, this is our center our home if you will and then Paul reminds us we're to be a people who care for each other that we care for each other and i love i absolutely love the what, what this little passage reveals about the way god works you know paul is on this missionary journey and he becomes afflicted with his recurring illness that affects his eyesight And so he's literally stopped in his tracks. He cannot go on. And so he's in this little village that he probably would not have stopped in otherwise. And these people care for him. And he shares the gospel with them. And a church is started because of his untimely illness. And, you know, we we saw things like this playing out all week long this week. Like, we had one thing planned, and we got there, and that didn't happen. But what was supposed to happen that happened and it was really cool to see that whole process play out Um, but in the midst of of what's happening we must be a people who care for each other who do good to each other in that we connect with each other and we cultivate joy in each other um one of the coolest things to watch this past week was the the way in which the presence of our youth group just lifted the countenance of the people we were there to serve it doesn't always work that way right um you know and i think some of us as adults were uh mortified by the amount of paint that was accumulating on the concrete and the porch and all the places it wasn't supposed to be on kids t-shirts and bodies and hair and all that Um, the kids were having a blast and they were getting their work done um, and we did discover some ways to get paint off of concrete after we were done Uh, but all this to say that the the power of being present and the impact that that had on those Christians um, was, was awesome. To see God's people caring for each other and the way that that changes and expands our joy and our enjoyment of who we are in Christ. There was a great discussion uh, during one of our uh, devotional times on the, on the missions trip about the difference between happiness and joy. That, you know, happiness is one of those things that's very circumstantial. It, it, it comes and it goes, and it really is quite superficial. Joy is that something that exists in a far deeper place that really transcends whether our circumstances are good or bad. Um, can one lose their joy? I, yes, I can. I've done it don't recommend it but it can it can happen when we lose sight of the gospel and our our standing in christ but we're to do good to each other and we're to show christ to each other paul says that these people who received him received him as if he was an angel of the lord as if he was christ jesus himself this is this is good stuff that that we are to treat each other that way to sacrifice for each other to speak the truth to each other paul appeals to this connectedness that he enjoys with these people as he says you know have i now become your enemy just by telling you the truth is that where we've got? Is that where this whole thing is going? And of course, he's only making a rhetorical point. He cares for them, he loves them, and he knows that they have demonstrated Christian care to him. And so, we're to stay grounded in grace, and we're to care for each other, and we're to stick together as God's people. We're to resist the tendency. To divide you see these teachers who come in in the wake of paul's absence and they begin to set this group of people against their former pastor to create the i follow paul and i follow this guy groups right and they're going to divide and undermine and destroy without even intending to destroy. Um, And Paul says, no. We're to be a people who resist this innate human tendency for division. We're to focus on the grace we have in common. And we're to focus on the purpose we have in common. He's like, zeal is great. If it's for the right thing. Misplaced zeal can be very damaging. And so we have to keep in mind the common grace that we share as Christians and the common purpose which we share, which is God's glory, not our own. And so Paul reminds his people to stick together because of what Christ has done, not because of what we are doing or want to do. So we're to resist the tendency to divide and we're to resist the tendency to quit. When we are exhausted, stressed at the end of ourselves, Frustrated, perhaps angry, hurt, or bitter. We just want relief. And so, we will find a way to peel off, to separate, to isolate, to quit, to detach relationally. This is part of who we are. And Paul is speaking into this group of people and saying, no, no, <laughs> no, no we're not going to we're not going to quit we're not going to stop our connection to each other we're going to persevere through difficulty in the belief that that we will be stronger as a result that our our resolve well resolve, human resolve doesn't get you very far but um but that our the result of this perseverance will be unity and so when we, when we see division, our temptation is to separate, to let it go, to peel away. And God says that what he wants from us is this calling to push through, to stick with it, to follow him through the difficulty. So we, he calls us to persevere, And he calls us to push through the pain and confusion. And I think it's beautiful that that Paul articulates the pain and confusion in this passage. He's very honest about it. You know, he doesn't understand how these people that he was so close to could have turned not only away from him, but away from the gospel at the same time he's astounded, he's perplexed, he's confused, and he's in pain. And he talks about this pain as, as if it's the pain of childbirth. Whoa. Now, no, he doesn't have the right to say that. Don't get upset. It's your thing, not ours. Um, but his point is nonetheless strong that we are called to push through because what what comes at the end of the pain of childbirth joy love that life and happiness or whatever you want to call it that comes through that process it's fruit it's good it's it's what we're here for and so god says we are to be a people who stick together who resist the tendency to divide and resist the tendency to quit who persevere through difficulty and push through the pain and confusion um, it would have been very easy in 2009 for me to quit it, it would have been I, I was burned out and frustrated at the end of myself. And some very wise people sat down with with our session and said, "Here's, here's what is needed. And by God's grace, we're here. And I'm so glad that He didn't let me off that hook because what we have now is richer and sweeter and better than what we've ever had and so you know and, and then we go on this trip this past week and we went to Guatemala last month and and I just see the Lord working and I see relationships clicking and I see the gospel going forth and I'm encouraged the joy is here and so we can rejoice together that God has not done with us yet that He will persevere through us in spite of our native tendency to return to our old ways. He is here, and He will show Himself faithful. It's His emancipating grace that we all have in common. Will you pray with me? God our Father, we marvel at Your Word.